Section 1 of Examining the U.S. Capitol Attack by the U.S. Senate. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 1, Findings of Fact and Recommendations. Finding of Fact 1. Neither the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, nor the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, issued formal intelligence bulletins about the potential for violence at the Capitol on January 6, which hindered law enforcement's preparations for the joint session of Congress. The DHS Office of Intelligence and Analysis, or I&A, issued no intelligence products specific to January 6. Rather, it issued 15 intelligence products in 2020 related to domestic violent extremism, the last of which was issued on December 30th without any mention of the joint session of Congress or the Capitol. The FBI similarly did not issue any formal intelligence assessment specific to January 6th. However, late on January 5th, the FBI's Norfolk Field Office circulated a situational information report which is used by field offices to share locally derived information that is typically operational in nature and does not meet the same criteria as intelligence assessments. That report warned of individuals traveling to Washington, D.C. for, quote, war, unquote, at the Capitol on January 6. In the five months since the attack, Neither agency has fully complied with the committee's request for information on the events of January 6. Finding 2. Neither the FBI nor DHS deemed online posts calling for violence at the Capitol as credible. In testimony before the committees, representatives from both agencies noted that much of the rhetoric online prior to January 6 was, quote, First Amendment protected speech, unquote, of limited credibility and acknowledged areas for improvement in the handling and dissemination of threat information from social media and online message boards to enhance law enforcement and intelligence agencies' abilities to counter that threat. Finding 3. The United States Capitol Police's, or USCP, Intelligence and Interagency Coordination Division, or IICD, possessed information about the potential for violence at the Capitol on January 6, but did not convey the full scope of information, which affected its preparations. Internal records and USCP officials' testimony confirm that USCP began gathering information about events planned for January 6, in mid-December 2020. Through open-source collection, tips from the public, and other sources, USCP IICD knew about social media posts calling for violence at the Capitol on January 6, including a plot to breach the Capitol, the online sharing of maps of the Capitol complex's tunnel systems, and other specific threats of violence. Yet IICD did not convey the full scope of known information to USCP leadership, rank-and-file officers, or law enforcement partners.
Finding 4. Important intelligence information received by internal USCP components was not appropriately shared among USCP's distinct intelligence-related components. USCP has three units responsible for intelligence-related activities, IICD, the Threat Assessment Section, or TAS, and the Intelligence Operations Section, or IOS, all of which are organized within USCP's Protective Services Bureau, or PSB. Although the three components support one another, they have different responsibilities. The decentralized nature of intelligence resources led to vital intelligence information not being shared with senior USCP intelligence officials or USCP leadership. Finding 5. IICD issued multiple intelligence reports prior to January 6 that reflected inconsistent assessments of the risk of violence at the Capitol. IICD issued intelligence products related to expected activities on January 6, but the products were contradictory as to the threat level. For example, although a January 3rd special event assessment warned of the Capitol being a target of armed violence on January 6, IICD's daily intelligence reports rated the likelihood of civil disturbance on January 6 as remote to improbable. Finding 6. USCP did not prepare a department-wide operational plan or staffing plan for the joint session. In advance of January 6, Stephen Sund, USCP Chief of Police on January 6, believed USCP would need support to secure the Capitol perimeter in light of the large number of expected protesters at the Capitol, but he did not order the creation of a department-wide operational plan. Although the Uniformed Services Bureau and the Civil Disturbance Unit prepared component-specific plans, neither was sufficiently detailed to inform officers of their responsibilities or authorities, nor did they reference warnings contained in IICD's January 3rd Special Event Assessment. Finding 7. USCP's Civil Disturbance Unit operates on an ad hoc basis without sufficient training or equipment. Of USCP's 1,840 sworn officers, only approximately 160 are trained in advanced civil disturbance tactics and use of hard protective equipment. Fewer than 10 are trained to use USCP's full suite of less-than-lethal munitions. On January 6, some of the hard protective equipment was defective or not staged in close proximity to the officers. Finding 8. USCP's rank-and-file officers were not provided periodic training in basic civil disturbance tactics or basic protective equipment. All officers received basic civil disturbance training during initial recruit officer class training, but there is no further training requirement after graduation. As a result, some who responded to the Capitol attack had not received training in civil disturbance tactics 
in years. Officers were also not uniformly provided helmets, shields, gas masks, or other crowd control equipment prior to January 6, which would have aided their response. Finding 9. USCP's incident command system broke down during the attack, leaving frontline officers without key information or instructions as events unfolded. USCP did not formally designate incident commanders in advance of January 6 through a department-wide operational plan. Senior officers were directly engaged with rioters during the attack, and USCP leadership never took control of the radio system to communicate orders to frontline officers. Finding 10. Capitol Police Board members in charge on January 6 did not fully understand the statutory or regulatory requirements for requesting assistance from executive agencies and departments or declaring emergencies. Capitol Police Board members also disagreed as to whether unanimity was required to re approve a request from USCP for assistance from the District of Columbia National Guard, or DCNG. Finding 11. Stephen Sund never submitted a formal request to the Capitol Police Board for an emergency declaration and D.C. National Guard assistance before January 6. Stephen Sund had informal conversations with the House and Senate sergeants-at-arms, but no request was ever provided to the full board. In fact, no one ever informed the architect of the Capitol, the third voting member of the board, of a potential request for D.C. National Guard assistance. Finding 12. As the attack unfolded, Stephen Sund lacked the authority to request National Guard assistance unilaterally. Under the existing statute, the USCP chief may obtain support from law enforcement and uniformed services only after the Capitol Police Board declares an emergency. This process constrained Stephen Sun's ability to act quickly during the attack and contributed to the delay in the provision of assistance. Finding 13. The Department of Defense, or DOD, confirmed with USCP on two separate occasions before January 6 that USCP was not requesting assistance from the D.C. National Guard. According to DOD records, USCP confirmed on January 3rd and January 4th that it did not need D.C. National Guard assistance. Meanwhile, DOD continued to communicate with the D.C. Mayor's Office regarding its request for unarmed D.C. National Guard personnel support. Finding 14. DOD's response to January 6 was informed by criticism it received about its response to the civil unrest after the murder of George Floyd during the summer of 2020. DOD was criticized for its heavy-handed response, particularly flying military helicopters over the protests in summer 2020. DOD officials cited lessons learned from the summer 2020 as guiding its decision-making for January 6. DOD officials believed it needed control measures and rigor before deploying D.C. National Guard personnel, 
including a clear deployment plan to avoid the appearance of over-militarization. Finding 15. DOD imposed control measures on D.C. National Guard deployment, including requiring the Army Secretary's approval before deploying a Quick Reaction Force, or QRF, and doing so only as a last resort. DOD set forth requirements in a pair of memoranda issued on January 4 and January 5 that allowed William Walker, D.C. National Guard Commanding General, to deploy a QRF only as a last resort and upon the express approval of a concept of operations for any use of the QRF by the Secretary of the Army, Ryan McCarthy. General William Walker testified that, absent these requirements, he would have been able to immediately deploy the QRF to support the U.S. Capitol Police. DOD officials disputed that characterization and asserted that the memoranda simply memorialized longstanding policy. Christopher Miller, the acting Secretary of Defense on January 6, was not aware that General William Walker wanted to deploy the QRF on January 6. Finding 16. As the attack unfolded, DOD officials claimed they did not have a clear request for D.C. National Guard assistance until approximately 2.30 p.m. Ryan McCarthy indicated that Muriel Bowser, the mayor of Washington, D.C., called him around 1.34 p.m., but did not request assistance at that time. Rather, she asked whether DOD had received requests from U.S. Capitol Police because the crowd was, quote, getting out of control, unquote. Stevenson called D.C. National Guard Commanding General William Walker at 1.49 p.m. to request assistance. According to Army officials, however, the requests were not specific, and clarity on the scope of the request was needed. Finding 17. Inaccurate media reports stating that DOD had denied a request for D.C. National Guard support slowed DOD's mission analysis efforts. At 2.55 p.m., a reporter tweeted that DOD, quote, had just denied a request by D.C. officials to deploy the National Guard to the U.S. Capitol, unquote, despite the fact that no denial had been ordered and senior DOD officials were still analyzing the request. Christopher Miller approved D.C. National Guard mobilization at 3.04 p.m., understanding that DOD officials would then conduct mission analysis. Ryan McCarthy, however, spent at least half an hour fielding calls and reassuring congressional and local leaders that DOD, quote, was indeed coming, unquote. Finding 18, DOD spent hours mission planning. Christopher Miller indicated that he gave all necessary approvals for deployment at 3.04 p.m. with the understanding that Ryan McCarthy would conduct mission analysis with General William Walker. Ryan McCarthy, by contrast, 
felt he needed to brief and receive Christopher Miller's approval before D.C. National Guard personnel could leave the armory. Ryan McCarthy co-located with D.C. officials and developed a concept of operations for D.C. National Guard personnel. The plan was approved and D.C. National Guard authorized to deploy by 4.35 p.m. All DOD officials who spoke with the committees described the time spent on mission analysis as vital to D.C. National Guard's effectiveness. By contrast, General William Walker believed the D.C. National Guard was fully equipped and ready to respond to the Capitol much earlier. Finding 19. DOD officials denied mentioning or discussing the optics of sending D.C. National Guard personnel to the Capitol and disagreed with purported statements by an Army official that deploying D.C. National Guard to the Capitol would not be, quote, best military advice, unquote. As Christopher Miller told the committees, quote, their best military advice is theirs. The best military advice that I take is from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, statutorily. So the best military advice that I received was, quote, let's go, agree. Unquote. Finding 20. DOD and D.C. National Guard have conflicting records of when orders and authorizations were given, and no one could explain why D.C. National Guard did not deploy until after 5 o'clock p.m. One current DOD official acknowledged that DOD and D.C. National Guard could have tightened up their response time between 4.35 p.m., when D.C. National Guard was authorized to deploy, and 5.02 p.m., when Army documents reflect D.C. National Guard's deployment. Officials attributed the delay to confusion and noted that it takes time to get personnel staged for deployment once the order is given. Concerning the conflicting records and accounts as to who needed to approve deployment orders, DOD officials cited confusion, the lack of a lead federal agency with an integrated security plan, and breakdowns in communication as to when those orders were given and when those orders were executed. Finding 21. According to DOD, the Department of Justice, or DOJ, was designated as the lead federal agency in charge of security preparations and response on January 6. But DOJ did not conduct interagency rehearsals or establish an integrated security plan. DOD officials understood DOJ was designated prior to January 6. According to Ryan McCarthy, DOJ never established a point of contact and did not effectively coordinate a response during the attack. As noted above, DOJ has not fully complied with the committee's requests for information. Recommendations for the Capitol Police Board. Recommendation 1. Empower the Chief of the U.S. Capitol Police to request assistance from the D.C. National Guard in emergency situations. Congress should pass legislation to clarify the statutes 
governing requests for assistance from executive agencies and departments in non-emergency situations. Under existing statute, the Chief of U.S. Capitol Police may request support from law enforcement and uniformed services only after the Capitol Police Board declares an emergency. This process can constrain U.S. Capitol Police's ability to act quickly in an emergency and delay the provision of assistance. Recommendation 2. Document and streamline board policies and procedures for submitting, reviewing, and approving requests from U.S. Capitol Police to ensure coordination among all members of the board. Board policies and procedures should include a requirement that board members regularly review the policies and procedures to acknowledge their understanding and ensure adherence to the processes outlined therein. Recommendation 3. Ensure the board is appropriately balancing the need to share information with officials with the need to protect sensitive and classified information. Recommendation 4. Appoint a new chief of the U.S. Capitol Police with appropriate input from USCP officers, congressional leadership, and the committees of jurisdiction. In addition, the new chief should evaluate the leadership team and ensure that promotions for leadership positions in USCP are handled in a transparent manner and based on merit. Recommendations for the U.S. Capitol Police Recommendation 1. Ensure USCP has sufficient civilian and sworn personnel with appropriate training and equipment in the roles necessary to fulfill its mission. This includes providing all officers annual training on basic civil disturbance tactics and equipping them with ballistic helmets, gloves, and gas masks, the same equipment that the District of Columbia Metropolitan Police Department, or MPD, provides to its officers. USCP should maintain an inventory of all issued equipment and ensure that the equipment is periodically replaced. Congress should authorize sufficient funding to support the additional training and equipment requirements as well as adequate staffing levels. Recommendation 2. Require a department-wide operational plan for special events. These procedures should include a bureau-specific security plan, which informs the USCP-wide operational plan. The plan should detail, at a minimum, the threat assessment for the event, staffing, deployment strategy, mission objectives, incident command system, authorized use of force, and relevant contingencies in the event of an emergency. USCP should ensure that the operational plans are informed by available intelligence and threat assessments. Recommendation 3. Establish the Civil Disturbance Unit, or CDU, as a formal, permanent component of USCP and ensure that its dedicated officers are properly trained and equipped at all times. USCP should ensure that all members of the CDU are equipped with hard gear and receive annual training in advanced civil disturbance tactics and less-than-lethal munitions. 
USCP should also ensure that all hard protective equipment is properly maintained and regularly replaced. Recommendation 4. Consolidate and elevate all USCP intelligence units into an intelligence bureau, led by a civilian director of intelligence reporting to the Assistant Chief of Police for Protective and Intelligence Operations. Ensure the Bureau is adequately staffed and all agents and analysts are properly trained to receive and analyze intelligence information and develop policies to disseminate intelligence information to leadership and rank-and-file officers effectively. Currently, USCP has three separate intelligence-related entities within the Protective Services Bureau. Elevating these entities into a bureau will increase focus on USCP's intelligence capabilities, improve the timely sharing of relevant intelligence up the chain of command, and decrease lack of coordination within the agency and with law enforcement partners. USCP should ensure that all training given to agents and analysts is consistent with best practices of the intelligence community and law enforcement partners, including the determination of credibility and overall threat assessment. USCP should enhance its relationships with intelligence community partners and increase the number of liaisons USCP has integrated in national capital region task forces, including those with the FBI and DC Fusion Center. Recommendation 5. Update its Incident Command System Directive to address how incident commanders are to communicate priorities, strategies, tactics, and threat assessment to frontline officers prior to and during an incident, and ensure that the directive is followed. USCP should also formalize the process for designating incident commanders for large events and account for contingencies should incident commanders be unable to communicate to officers, including requiring senior leaders to take over communication responsibilities. Recommendation for the House and Senate Sergeants at Arms. Develop protocols for communicating with members of Congress, staff, and other employees during emergencies. Recommendations for Intelligence Agencies 1. Review and evaluate handling of open-source information, such as social media, containing threats of violence. Recommendation 2. Review and evaluate criteria for issuing and communicating intelligence assessments, bulletins, and other products to consumer agencies, such as USCP. Recommendation 3. Fully comply with statutory reporting requirements to Congress on domestic terrorism data, including on the threat level and the resources dedicated to countering the threat. Recommendations for the Department of Defense and D.C. National Guard. 1. Develop standing concept of operation scenarios and contingency plans for responding quickly to civil disturbance and terrorism incidents. These scenarios and plans should detail what level of DOD or D.C. National Guard assistance may be required, 
what equipment would be needed for responding personnel, and the plan for command and control during the response. These scenarios and plans can help reduce confusion or the necessary planning time to allow DOD to respond more quickly to unfolding emergencies. DOD and the D.C. National Guard should perform tabletop and joint training exercises concerning responding to an attack on the Capitol, which includes coordinating with local law enforcement and neighboring states. Recommendation 2. Enhance communications prior to and during an event between DOD and D.C. National Guard strategic, operational, and tactical decision-makers and commanding generals. These communications should include regular updates prior to an event concerning operations and strategy, as well as regular updates on the day of an event through direct communications between the decision-makers and commanding generals, including by co-locating leaders where practicable. Recommendation 3. Practice the mobilization of National Guard members from neighboring jurisdictions to provide immediate assistance and report to command and control in the event of an emergency. Those Guard members should be trained and equipped to respond to emergencies. Recommendation 4. For special events in which a Quick Reaction Force, or QRF, is approved, Consider proximity and response time, among other factors, when deciding where to stage the QRF to ensure the ability to quickly respond to incidents at the Capitol. Recommendation 5. Clarify the approval processes and chain of command within DOD to prevent delays in the deployment of the D.C. National Guard when authorized. Recommendations for Law Enforcement and Uniformed Services in the National Capital Region Recommendation 1. Ensure that mutual aid agreements among federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies include all partners in the National Capital Region and that those agreements are regularly reviewed and updated. Recommendation 2. Conduct joint training exercises to ensure coordination across federal, state, and local governments concerning security threats in the Washington, D.C. area for requesting, receiving, and utilizing emergency assistance. Training exercises should cover command and control processes during an emergency to ensure prompt response and timely integration of personnel. Additional USCP Inspector General Recommendations After January 6, a number of inspectors general announced investigations into their agency's preparation and response to the attack on the Capitol. The committees support these oversight efforts. To date, the USCP Office of Inspector General has released a number of recommendations for USCP, which are summarized at Appendix A. End of section 1.